Hello and welcome. I'm with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kira Mulvaney and we are coming at you from all across the United States with this podcast live as a result of the miracles of modern telecommunication from the outskirts of Philadelphia, from rural Vermont and from Los Angeles, California, where just a matter of minutes ago, Hugo Ruiz made weight for Saturday night's main event on Showtime Championship Boxing against Javante Tank Davis. Davis, continuing his struggle with the scales, was initially 0.2 pounds over as we record this Mayweather Promotions reporting that Davis, on subsequent reweighing, coming in at 129.8. Uh, theoretically, then, if that is indeed the case, uh, we will be able to go ahead with our main event, 12 rounds in the 130-pound division from the Dignity Health Sports Park on Saturday. Uh, Showtime Championship Boxing, that broadcast beginning at 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Eric, We've already previewed this card ourselves, but we've barely even begun to scratch the surface of conversation pieces around this card. Indeed. Uh, and, uh, you know, just following up on what you just said there, we have a fight. I think. Probably. Hopefully. Most likely. That's uh, that's where I'll <laughs> land uh, as of this moment. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Kieran and I like to think we're pretty good at talking about boxing you know at a minimum we're we're competent i feel safe in declaring that but we could always use a little help uh so you referenced that we are coming uh, not just from our homes on the east coast but also from la we are joined on today's post weigh-in episode by an old friend uh he's not the name on our marquee but he is the name on a marquee he is the host of cbs sports's state of combat podcast covering mma wrestling and of course boxing and since cbs and showtime are part of the same family he is now officially a brother or at least a cousin. Brian Campbell, welcome to the show. Wow, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Great intro. And this is almost getting uh, Harry Met Sally levels where we keep uh, finding each other employed by the same people over the years. This is great. I love the reunion. <laughs> I'll, I'll have what he's having. To steal, to steal a line that you used during the uh, weigh-in stream that we just watched, That's right. actually. Yes. That's right. Excellent, excellent. So, so fresh from broadcasting that way in stream, BC, uh, gotta ask, who would you rather be talking to uh, on air, uh, us or, or Morrow and Polly? Oh, that's that's a tough debate with a lot of friendships on the line. But yeah, Morrow and Polly. Let's be really honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's really the only answer, dude. Let's be honest. There we go. Yeah, smart move. On, smart move. You know which side your bread is buttered on. Exactly. Exactly. There is nothing we can do for you in your career. Nothing. <laughs> the other guys, on the other hand. It's a different matter. <laughs> hey, but by the way, congrats on you guys uh, making things happen on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. I'm loving this show. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yes. It is nice. So um, It feels familiar. It feels great. Somehow. I love the taste of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little like something else we've done before, but not exactly the same. Exactly. New and improved somehow. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's talk about the weigh-in. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, BC, you were there. Um, hey, we saw, it was a kind of an interesting way, and we did see some good verbal fireworks with a couple of the undercard fighters. And I want us to hold that thought for a bit, because I want to talk about that undercard fight uh, in a little bit. Um, but, okay, so the main event. We've touched on this. We've talked about it. Obviously, going in, the narrative with Javante is always, is he focused? Is he in shape? Um I thought he looked kind of big three weeks ago when we talked to him in the media room at the MGM Grand uh, when he was there for Pacquiao Broner. And as we pointed out, lo and behold, he was a little bit over. It's not like two pounds on the undercard of Mayweather McGregor over, but it was a little bit over. And I don't know about you, his body just didn't look great, right? It looked, it was aight, but it, it didn't look fantastic. I thought that the Hugo Ruiz, who in his last fight fought for the first time at 126 and now for the first time is fighting at 130, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, 
he was carrying the weight well. Apart from the obvious, what were your takeaways, Brian, from from what you saw up close on on the stage there? I think you you hinted at it right there. I think Ruiz may have. I mean, we're going to see what happens on Saturday night. May have found the perfect weight for him, where he's much closer to his natural walking around weight because he oh. looked fantastic on the scales, and we know that he's tall and can add some pounds to that frame. Can he carry his power? Can he take a punch at 130? We're going to obviously going to find that out on Saturday. But, you know, you nailed it on Tank Davis. He's got a lot to prove this weekend. And mm. I think he added to that side of it by coming in over, by needing a, a second and a third chance. He's making these type of claims that I'm going to be the next big pay-per-view yeah. star of the sport. You, you often hear Floyd Mayweather and Leonard Ellerby say, this is the next big pay-per-view star of the sport. Well, he's going to have a lot to prove, I think, in 2019. Gonna wanna, he wants to be a lot busier than he has been, wants to fight three times. He can throw those stats out there at nauseum of he's only fought three rounds in 18 months, and I think that's obviously a negative for a guy his age who just kind of got on the map of some casual fans with that Mayweather-McGregor appearance, which wasn't the best appearance for him. He was booed throughout most of that fight. He's, he's kind of took a, a slight step back with his way in performance, and I think he's going to have to prove a lot of things. And one of those things is, can he keep making 130 moving forward? Yeah. There is a um, the Showtime digital team released a, a nice little video with Tank talking about his relationship with his trainer and all of that. And, and one of the things in there was talking about him and Adrian Broner training together and how they, you know, push each other. And I'm thinking, man, if you want to convey the impression of how dedicated you are to your training, you don't necessarily want to be like, yeah, man, I was training with Adrian Broner. That's not necessarily what you want to push. And, and it seems to me that... You know, we've, I'm sure we've all talked about this before. It's, it's one of the things you mentioned Floyd, you know, is their promoter. And one of the things some of these guys miss is they want to be like Floyd. But Floyd never pulled that stuff. Floyd never showed up two pounds overweight. He never showed up 0.2 pounds overweight. Okay, granted, sometimes he made sure that the weights were set in such a way to suit him. But, but that was the thing. That's the big difference. Why Floyd was one of the reasons why Floyd was so consistently successful and why he was a big pay-per-view star. Guy was always in shape. I, I will point out he did no, you, show up two pounds overweight exactly one time well, against Marquez, I mean, but it was read, right. It was a very intentional, uh, yeah. strategic, uh, rather than <laughs> than in, not a case of unable to make the weight or, or not exactly. training hard enough. But okay, just it one, was a financial investment. They call yes. it money Mayweather for a reason, Rasmus. It was a go. financial investment there. Yes. Right. Because, you know, you nailed a lot of things there. And look, there's been a, a few, the next Floyd Mayweathers in the past few years. And obviously Broner was a big one. And there's this sort of scale. You got Broner on one end of the scale and Floyd on the other. And where does Gervonta fit in there? Is he leaning too much and showing you some A-B qualities? Or can he be Floyd? And look, let's be honest. It's not that Floyd hasn't had many missteps outside the ring in his personal right. life. But you nailed it. One thing he's always done was put boxing first make that his life priority, and he's been incredibly professional in that regard. And I think for Tank Davis, I mean, there's so many qualities. There's so many pluses, flashes of brilliance that he shows, the mental toughness from overcoming that type of upbringing in Baltimore, the fact that this has been a life for him. He started boxing at a very young age and was nationally ranked very, very young. This isn't, you know, what we see nowadays. A lot of guys coming into the sport in their late teens at times where in the past you could never see that happen. He's a lifer, but yeah, we are going to have to see where that discipline is, is never shaken, where that is a guarantee for him that he'll always be on weight, he'll always be in shape, and he'll always take his opponent serious. And that's certainly a, uh, 
a landmark part of Floyd's legacy. And and you guys reported on the stream also that that Gervonta skipped the fighter meeting uh, and, and then was running late to the way. And so it it all adds up to uh, a lack of professionalism from top to bottom. And then you know he's got the late replacement re- uh, opponent here in Ruiz. Does does this say to you, Brian, that there's a lack of focus from him for for this fight and a, and a lack of taking it seriously, or does this just say? This is a guy who's killing himself to make 130, and he had to skip the fighter meeting because he, he just uh, ha- had to focus purely on, on getting his weight down there. Well, that that's the debate here right now. It, because, look, when stars act differently, obviously, stars get away with things in any sport, any office, any job you have. Right. Somebody with extreme talent, you sort of forgive something. So you can say, well, he's just acting like a star. He's showing up on his own time. Floyd's done that many, many, many Eric times as well. All the time as well, <laughs> yes. constantly. Right. Exactly. I, Eric, you know, you schedule that podcast in the morning. Eric shows up when he wants to at night. Exactly. He's free. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, certainly I think we can find out physically on Saturday night if he's the same person, if one, if the idea of making 130 is something that is a reality for him moving forward. Because even though he's throwing out at times names like Manny Pacquiao on social media, and Davis will tell you, I can see myself going to 140 for big money. He's talking more about the names at 126 in featherweight who featherweight who might move up and meet him at 130. So it doesn't seem like at age 24 he's ready to go up. He's got to prove that in there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, some people just wake up late. Could it be one of those guys, or could this be where he really had to struggle to make it this time around? And is that a professionalism problem, or is that a growing into your man strength right. problem? Rest, right. you know about man strength. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard about man strength. I've, I've heard tales of it. I don't have first-hand experience. Uh, but uh, I guess we should run down the other uh, weights on on the card real quick, since uh, the otherwise there was relatively little drama on the scale. Uh, but uh, I, I've got the weights in front of me here, so we'll just uh, inform the listeners. Barrios one forty two and a half, Zamora one forty one and a quarter. That was uh, set at a catch weight of one forty three, and then uh, Sharif Bogare uh, one thirty five and a half, um, and looked a little soft to me. Uh, and uh, Javier Fortuna one thirty and took a sip before getting on the scale. I don't know if I've ever seen that move before other than the uh, Ricardo Mayorga (laughs) taking a bite out of a a turkey leg or whatever it was. (laughs) I think it was somebody's actual rotting flesh. I'm not really sure what happened there. But yeah, relatively little drama in in those. uh, But of course, there was one other moment of of drama uh, prior to the main event fighters stepping on the scale, and that was uh, the fantastic... Uh, Erickson Lubin, Ishe Smith trash talk uh, with yelling back and forth. Uh, I guess it was Lubin telling Ishe that he's a bum because he's lost 10 times and Ishe uh, yelling at him, you got knocked out, uh, referring to uh, Lubin's recent loss. That uh, that had to be a fun one to watch. And, and of course, you're going to be calling that fight, Brian. Oh, my God, that raised the intensity in the room and really added a another layer of must-see to what is a fantastic crossroads fight. And I'm not just trying to plug my addition to the uh, call on that, like you mentioned, <laughs> 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern, Saturday night on the Showtime social media channels. But look, this is a fight that you could make the case is, I don't know, the second best fight on the card, maybe even the best, depending on your preference in this division, because it's got that really natural, amazing crossroads element to it of a young, hot, up-and-coming guy trying to get past his first major misstep. And of course, the lovable veteran, Anisha Smith. And when you add the the real anger now between them, which, look, I interviewed Erickson Lubin yesterday. 
and he's not fooling around. He wants to be the first guy to stop Ishe Smith, and he's told Ishe that, and he's been following Ishe's very intense social media postings. He says, look, he's all up in his feelings. There's some real bad blood between them, and you, and you love when you add that to, to what is already a really cool narrative in this fight to see, you know, Ishe Smith, a, a real gatekeeper to the stars at 154, can he expose uh, uh, the hammer, Erickson Lupin, or is this just another step in the comeback? Yeah, I liked what you were saying about <clears throat> Ishe. Ishe and I are buddies, right? As, as, as I think I've said before on the podcast, Ishe was the first boxer I ever interviewed, and, and we became friends way back from when he was in uh, Shane Mosley's camp for the rematch with Oscar De La Hoya like 16 or so years ago. And, and I like what you said about Ishe, that his career has changed. There was a period where he was that kind of, when he was the prospect contender, it just wasn't working. He wasn't necessarily a very interesting fighter to watch. He wasn't making good fights. He was falling short. And now in his later years, he's become more exciting. He's become this guy, hasn't he, that these young guns uh, match themselves up against. And he loses more than he wins, but he makes them work for it. And nobody really beats up Ishe Smith. So it's going to be, it's, he's a really good yardstick at this point, isn't he, for Lubin? He really is, and one thing is that he's incredibly tough, never been stopped, really can, can be smart defensively, but that adapt, the adaptive nature of his style late in his career where he's much more offensive-based than he was, it certainly puts him in danger, but he's very comfortable in the pocket. He stretched so many young up-and-coming 154s to not only give them really good, fun TV fights, but to have a chance where you can argue he should have won that. I thought when he fought Julian J. Rock Williams, he had a great case, and I don't want to really pat myself on the back for one of the best predictions ever that nobody cares about. But when he <laughs> fought Bonus Martirosian a few years ago on an undercard, I was woke to new Ishe. You can call him old Ishe. You can call him Karen's best friend Ishe. But I was the one saying, look, something's changed in this guy. He bangs now. He makes fun fights. That was sort of a sleepy, good, fun Floyd Mayweather undercard fight. And I think we're going to see a similar outcome on Saturday night in terms of action. Because what Ishe does now... He pushes the pace more, a lot of right-hand leads, throws a lot of punches to surprise you, to sort of try to find out if you're of his ilk, if you are, you know, you're a hot young dame at 54, well, what happens if I push you a little bit quicker into the deep end than you want it to go? He's got the chin, like we mentioned, the toughness and the craft to have those sneaky veteran moves to keep him in the fight without taking too much damage. We're going to find out eventually he will hit that wall if he stays around, as all fighters do. Is this the guy he hits that against? Will he suffer the first stoppage loss? Because Lubin can punch with both hands, but at the same time, Lubin's still young and raw enough at 23, where Ishe can take this guy the distance and steal a decision if Lubin's not careful. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so look, you mentioned that, obviously, you're calling uh, these two uh, stream fights. You've been doing that a little bit now uh, for a few months or so. Um, How's that working out for you? And, and, you know, how's the experience and any surprises, anything you weren't expecting uh, from from doing that? I wasn't expecting how amazing it feels. I mean, like, look, we're blessed as as boxing journalists or or glorified fans, whatever you want to call us, right? We get the really good seats for fights and we tell you what happened in it. But here's the thing. We get great experiences. We get one-on-one interviews with the stars. We get to experience these fights. No one's experienced more fights ever, by the way, than Kieran Mulvaney in Las Vegas. If you, if you want a great fight story, grab a beer with Kieran and ask him what it felt like when that air crew, when that plane took off at the round 12 of Martinez Chavez in 2012. So you've had those experiences, but calling a fight is taking the drug and putting it right in the vein. It's mm. just, you're a part of the story, and not in a sense where I'm trying to push myself into the narrative. I'm, as a broadcaster, I just mean 
you've got a hand in, 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 you know, relaying what you're seeing in front of you. And there's a responsibility there, but man, is there a fun passion there to be a far part of big moments. This is as advertised. This is what, this is the top of the pops. Give me nice. more, please feed <laughs> nice. me more. Nice. So people who want to uh, experience Brian's passion, of course, can uh, hear him calling uh, those fights on, uh, is it uh, both a, a Facebook and YouTube stream? Is that correct, Brian? Do I have it right? That is correct. Okay, that is so correct. It's, uh, so MySpace, it's two... also MySpace stream. <laughs> your, your personal MySpace page, yes. So it's two fights. Yes, you've my got personal MySpace <laughs> You've got uh, Erickson Lubin against DJ Smith and also Eddie Ramirez against Juan Geraldez. So uh, that starts at uh, 5 p.m., uh, local time out in LA and uh, 8 p.m. on the East Coast. Um, switching to a topic tangentially connected to these fights, um, we need to issue. Wow, a cr- great word! That's a, that's the Ivy League slipping out of you there. I like <laughs> yes, that. Yes, tangentially. That uh, that's. I actually know what that word means and how to use it correctly. I'm very proud of myself, and my mother especially is proud of me. Um, but we need to issue a correction of, of sorts. We reported on Monday's podcast that. Abner Mares pulled out of the Davis fight with an elbow injury. It turns out that while his elbow was causing him some problems, the real reason for the pullout was that he had a detached retina, uh, and he's now wearing an eye patch, and I am absolutely here for any and all Abner Mares pirate jokes. Uh, but he was basically uh, lying about the injury because detached retinas are more serious. This is his second one of these. It's potentially career-threatening, and he didn't want people to know about it. BC, you take any issue with him covering up the real injury? Yeah, to a, to a small degree. I mean, if I'm going to have to try to guess without having talked to him as why you would do that, maybe there was a, a feeling that, it, that when he entered surgery, it may not have been as serious as he would have hoped originally, and then afterwards maybe it was, and, and it was time to report that. Look, it's a serious situation. I obviously forgive him for going that path because you look at the severity at age 33, a guy who's already had the same surgery on his other eye, obviously such an unforgiving sport. And look, this is the gravy period of, of Abner Mars' career. I, at 33, I don't think he's, as the kids say, washed by any means. He still makes great, fun fights, but he's already put in the work to build that foundation to have a shot at, let's say, a Hall of Fame-type resume. Now it's, let me add to that, let me sprinkle on some big fights against big names. Of course, you know, we love his run at Bantamweight. We love the two fights with Leo Santa Cruz, all fight of the year contenders. I really wanted to see what this was going to look like against Trevante. I know Abner really wanted to see it. Now the career is in jeopardy. You can only feel bad for him and wish him the best on coming back at such a serious injury now with two separate eyes. Uh, So finishing off with a weigh-in here and segueing into uh, some other business. Uh, So after he weighed in, Javier Fortuna stated that should he beat Sharif Bogare, uh, he'd like to fight Vasily Lomachenko next, which one can hardly criticize him for confidence and having big goals. Um, Richard Comey was supposed to be fighting Lomachenko next, uh, but he injured his hand during his knockout win last Saturday night and is out for six weeks. So he won't be facing Lomachenko on April 12th, which is Lomachenko's next scheduled date. Uh, Dan Rayfield of ESPN reporting that Bob Arum intends to go ahead with that date perhaps against Anthony Crawler. Uh, BC, look, realistically, out of those three, um, assuming Fortuna wins and Comey's hand heals at some point, assuming for now that Lomachenko does have legitimate challengers, um, are any of those three, do you think a Crawler or a Comey uh, uh, or a Fortuna, are they legitimate challenges for Lomachenko? Or is he still like, uh, or, or is everybody still the Washington Generals up against the Harlem Globetrotters here? <laughs> well, let me add a fourth name to that. I saw Mike Coppinger of the ring put Luke Campbell's name out there, of course, hmm. uh, promoted by Eddie Hearn, good young fighter. Uh, 
they're not great choices, but they're certainly not awful. Uh, here's the thing, though. What we found out about Lomachenko is at, in this experiment, not experiment, but in this move to 135 pounds, is that, yes, he's still the best fighter in the world. There's no question about it. He's still trying to make a case for one of the better fighters of this era, of course, with his dare-to-be-great uh, nature and fighting big fights so early in his run. But I think 135 is that ceiling, you know? When he yeah. was in there against Jorge Linares, which was a fantastic fight, got dropped, and he can yeah. get hurt or, if not hurt, have to alter his game plan a little bit against fighters at this weight class. Sniper Pedraza really pressed him over 12 rounds. No, Lomachenko wasn't in a spot where he was going to lose on the cards, never really in trouble, but that's a really tough fight. And what I'm trying to say is that any upper-level credible lightweight, I think, is going to be a tough fight. You're going to get best of both worlds moving forward in Lomachenko fight. Yeah. You're going to get the dazzling maestro wizardry of his technical brilliance and the creativity, but you're also going to have guys of different styles who, if they can hang around, and Lomachenko, not a massive puncher at 135, would have to wear you down and sort of hit you with punches you don't see coming. We could really see good fights against any of those. I mean, Fortuna can be crude at times. He can even cheat at times, but we know he's got a big left hand. He's coming down from an experiment at 140. I don't hate that fight, as they say mm. here, and I don't hate that at all. <laughs> Luke Campbell either. Anthony Crowell, the mandatory, well, you know, a little more hate for that. Uh, no one mentioned Ricky Burns, right? Yeah, let's not mention Ricky Burns. But there are options out there for him. I mean, which one would you guys reach at first out of that group? Hmm. Uh, first of all, uh, his name is not Ricky Burns. It's Rick Sterko. We all know that, Brian. That's yes. right. Get it, get it right. Uh, out of that group, um, I, I, Comey's kind of interesting to me. Um, just, just cause he, he's rangy and, um, you know, I, I've, I've been polishing, uh, a Lomachenko take here and I'm going to, I'm going to bounce it off you guys. I wouldn't quite call it a hot take. It's like, I've, uh, I've turned on the stove, but I've set it at like the lowest heat setting. That's, that's, that's the amount of heat in this take. I think based on the evidence presented in Lomachenko versus Linares and Lomachenko versus Pedraza, uh, and certainly it has something to do with the weight at which he's fighting, but also might have a little something to do with age. He's about to turn 31. I think Lomachenko, though still number one on my pound-for-pound list, is ever so slightly past his absolute prime. He's he's like Manny in 2011-12 uh, compared to Manny in 2009-10. You know, again, he's still number one on my pound-for-pound list, but like if Terrence Crawford looks good against Khan and Lomachenko has another mild struggle, I could see switching them. Uh, but what, what, what do you guys think? Uh, is, is it fair to, for me to say that maybe the very absolute best of Lomachenko is behind us? I think you're underselling the heat quotient of your take. Okay, a little it's, bit. It's uh, it's actually medium heat. I, I think that's at least medium heat. I okay. think defensible, entirely defensible, <laughs> based on what we've seen. Um, uh, you know, and you know, given that look before that, uh, he wasn't so much number one on the pound for pound list as in an entirely different list all by himself, practicing a different sport. Right, like like. Terence Crawford was the number one pound-for-pound pound boxer, and Lomachenko was doing whatever the hell he was doing. So even to have him on this, you know, acknowledging that he's playing the same game as everybody else, or they're playing the same sport as everybody else, is in a sense a bit of a concession. And I, I wonder if it's age. I wonder if it is simply that now, you know, he's not a big guy. If you're around him, he, he's really not a big guy at all. And I think there was a talk... There was a lot of folks asking him for a while, oh, would you ever meet Terence Crawford and go up and wait to meet Terence Crawford? And he says, if you ever want to see us, see me fight Terence Crawford, 
do it on PlayStation because I'm never going to be able to get that big. And and I do think I think 35 is maybe a smidgen big for him. And and I I agree with what Brian says is that we're in we're in a really good situation now, and we've got an incredibly skillful fighter who is actually going to have to work hard to get his wins. So whether that's age, whether that's weight, I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's so much that he's on the downslope as it is that he's putting himself in a position where it's the equivalent of him fighting with half a hand behind his back now. I don't know. All right. I, well, I, can... I can't see what Eric's wearing through the Skype feed. Sorry to cut you off there, but I wonder if you've got skinny jeans on there. Cause that's a little hipsterish that take right there. <laughs> the reason why I say that is this. Can you put some respect on Jorge Linares's name, that beautiful man who fought the fight of his life against Loma and also sniper Pedraza, who seems to have found the right, right weight class for him. And the reason why I say that is, yes, it supports my theory that 135 is his ceiling. Like Karen said, he's going to have to work harder. But this ain't Jason Sosa, right? This ain't Guillermo Rigondeaux in his late 30s moving up two weight classes. These are guys who are, who are showing you that at 135, they fill that weight out great, and they still have the class, the speed, the game plan to show him. So I think it's more akin to Gennady Golovkin when he was doing one thing against Matthew Macklin's and Darren Barker's and Gabriel's others of the world. And then when he goes in there against Danny Jacobs and Canelo, it changes a bit. Yes. Golovkin also aged, you know, considerably between those fights I referenced, but I think it's just, you fight better competition. You get closer fights. All right. I'm, I'm going to, to sheepishly remove my scarf and fedora uh, and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and change the subject. Brian, you ready to play a game? Oh, yeah, come on. What is that? Right. Oh, what, is this from the Ring Theory Wheel of Death? What am I saying? It, 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 it is not. It's, it's actually it's a game that, uh, that you're familiar with uh, since you invented it, I, I believe. Uh, let's play the game that you and uh, Rafe Bartholomew play on your podcast. What's it look like? You want to play around? Yes. All yes. right. Let's All right. do it. I've got, I've got a couple for you here. First up, uh, combining uh, the guy in the main event tomorrow night with a guy who just fought last weekend. Teofimo Lopez versus Gervonta Davis, who we figure is Ooh. moving up to 135 soon. What's it look like? Uh, it looks like an adult film because they will bang. <laughs> it looks like firecrackers. It looks like, look, it's two young guys who hit hard. And I think with Teofimo Lopez, there's such, there's so much swagger. He doesn't know not to be that good at this age and be that brash and arrogant and aggressive. And I think right away, even though he obviously has craft, what he's doing as a counterpuncher from crazy angles from an un- unorthodox way is just fun to watch. But I think he's going to lure, if that fight happened, he would lure Tank right away into trading some big shots and finding out who's the bigger man, Jim Lampley, who's got bigger wavos. You'd find that out right away and you'd please the fans. Believe that. Mm. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, and I'll, I'll hand it over to Kieran here to ask you the other. I want him to be involved in the game, too. He can ask you the other. Uh, what's it look like? Okay. So we talked already about Vasily Lomachenko. What about his buddy, Alexander Usyk? Um, let's do a heavyweight scenario, first of all. He moves up, and it's been talked about. Alexander Usyk and Alexander Povetkin. What is that? Ooh. That's a hell of a great test for Usyk to find out what we really have here. Right? I always wax ad nauseum that we're going through a heavyweight renaissance, and it's not so much about legendary fighters as fun fighters, as resuscitating the division. But I think Usyk's inclusion in this list of, with the names of like Joshua Wilder and Fury means you're adding something different. You're adding a potential yeah. Lomachenko of the low weight classes to heavyweight, a skillful, craftful guy. 
Povetkin is the right opponent for this. So what would it look like? Look, I think Usyk is going to surprise some people who are saying, okay, he can move up to heavyweight. He's 6'3", but he's thin. He doesn't have real knockout power. Does he have the chin? Look, he's going to have to answer all of those questions. But I think unless he's fighting a big puncher at heavyweight with real speed and craft, which we don't find that very often, I think he's going to beat these guys and beat these guys wide. Yes, Povetkin mm. gave Joshua a very fun fight, even though he's in his late 30s, because he's got that power, because obviously he's got that amateur background as an Olympian. But I think Usyk can slip and sort of surgically pick him apart. And, and, you know, he's best friends with Lomachenko, comes from the same amateur background. I think there's certain comparisons there, even though, you know, Usyk doesn't do the full-on crazy magic way of, of Lomachenko, but he's still got great footwork and still sets you up with that jab. It maybe wouldn't look like the shutout against Murat Gassiev, which was very eye-opening, but I think he would win that fight comfortably. How about, here's a good one, Les, he doesn't go up to heavyweight. He stays at cruiserweight, and he takes on an unretiring Andre Ward. What does that look like? Wow. That's very, very, very creative. That is a chess match. That's it. Look, we, we love the slop. We love the action. We love the fights. But, the, you know, us real fans, right, us hardcores, I think we get extra, extra excited when it's a chess match on this level between two brains like this. I think, you know, obviously Ward would have to really show you what he could look like at cruiserweight and, and how much that speed would translate. And can he be durable in the same questions we would have with Usyk at heavyweight? Wow, that would be really, really interesting from a chess point. Stand. I mean, I have to favor Usyk because of the natural size advantage yeah. there. And Ward has been very inactive. But if Ward was going to surprise us and really be in that fight, how do you think he would do it? He's got to crowd him. He's, he's got to crowd him. He's got to somehow... Look, Usyk has these movement advantages at that weight division against so many, so many opponents. At that weight class, he doesn't have someone with the kind of craft that you have with Andre Ward, who's already shown against other guys at that kind of level, that he has the capacity, despite being a really good technician himself, of being really good at dragging people in deep and dragging them in close... And I think what Andre is going to have to do is he's going to have to take Usyk's footwork away from him. And even though Usyk's the bigger guy, I think if he can take away Usyk's leverage, that's what he would have yes. to do. He would have mm. to be working inside him and just take away that leverage from him. Yeah. Would he be dirty a little bit? Because the one good yes! thing about Andre Ward is fight <laughs> any style. Remember against Vika? He went in the trenches. You know, he, he wasn't course. afraid of that. That'd be interesting. Yes. Of course. Uh, I, I, I would say this is a, one of those fights where uh, Usyk – ought to wear a a, 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 cu a cup with a little extra padding just to be safe. You, you'd want to be prepared for that possible mode from Andre Ward. Before... Now, what about if Russell Mora is the referee? Does that take <laughs> Then uh, throw everything out the window, all right. analysis out the window. Right. Um, so we, we, uh, we're going to get to our predictions, official predictions for Saturday night's fights. But first, one more thing, Brian, that I, I want to talk about literally your favorite topic in the world. Uh, you, you love it more than your wife. Oh. You love it more than your kids. Let's t let's talk about load watch uh, and and let's do it delicately. Yeah. All right, this is this is the Showtime podcast. We're allowed to be R rated, but we prefer to keep it PG or PG thirteen. It's more fun if we can handle this like the contest on Seinfeld, where they never quite spelled out what they were talking about. So, Brian. Can you explain Load Watch and how it's taken the world by storm? Yes. Uh, so there's a, there's a moment in boxing when a fighter thinks he has a guy hurt and he goes for the knockout and he uses all the energy he has left in him, but he doesn't get the knockout. And suddenly he's gone from mm. predator 
to to being hunted and he's out of gas and he's got a he's got a crowd and he's got a hug and he's got a backpedal. You would say in, in natural terms to avoid being gross, oh he ran out of gas. Oh, you know, but for some reason, beginning in twenty seventeen and now it's carried all the way to a new year in hashtag loadwatch twenty nineteen Something switched in the, in the terms of decency in our world and broadcasting and legitimate broadcasters, both play-by-play and color, and suddenly it began okay. It became okay to say, I think he might have shot his load. No, not I think he might have ran out of gas. It's, wow, yes, definitely, he shot his wad. And you're like, what? what? Did that just, did he just, did he? And then it's, it's not just derelicts. It's not just me one time on the Usyk Bellew card. It's legitimate broadcasters, and it's spreading like wildfire. It's spreading, if you will, like an STD, and no one's turning their (laughs) eyes against it. People are embracing it to the point where we talked about on my podcast this past week, Race Bartholomew and I, that now even when LeBron James takes a day off, they don't Mm -hmm. say DNP coach's decision. They don't just call it a day off. They say load management. Now, Rask, you were once a teen with Cinemax cable package. You understand <laughs> load management, but this is 2019. I mean, this is insane. Uh, yeah, you know, going just beyond my teenage Cinemax years to my to my early 20s, I'll say that this is this is something that's been around forever, um, just not on the air, maybe, but I, I'll, uh, I'll throw my old boss, Nigel Collins, under the bus and say that he used to talk in the ring office in the late 90s about a fighter shooting his wad or shooting his load. That terminology was used, just not on the air that's that's really what's taken it to the to a new level here well it's and it's not it's it's now you know we mic up the corners now it's trainers giving Uh it as an instruction or a warning and i think we have to go back to the interview i play on my podcast all the time sal palantonio vspn interviewing floyd mayweather after the mcgregor win i think i mean we saw what four point something million people watched that fight on showtime maybe a million at least of those kind of saw this interview get passed around and floyd stood ground looked into the camera and said, shot his load three separate times. And I think that was the beginning because people follow Floyd's fashion, his sensibility, his, his, you know, he's woke on a lot of things. And I think now people are getting woke to loads. But wait, didn't Sal Pal repeat it also after Floyd said it a few times? It was almost like Sal Pal didn't even yeah. realize the connotation and just went with it. Yeah. Sal Pal sort of indirectly made it okay. If you're right. going to be honest with you know, it, it it's it's amazing. And look, I don't know where it can end. I mean, it's going to end with a mess, but I don't know where <laughs> where can it go from here. Will the president one day say it? I don't know. I mean, there's no limits at this point. Okay. Uh, Kieran, I am not going to put your world-renowned segueing powers to the test by asking you to segue smoothly from that into uh, the next thing. Uh, I'll, I'll do it myself here and uh, just say, let's get to our predictions. Let's. Uh, That's enough- good. I was just uh, typing up my resume. I feel that'll be necessary now. We made eight episodes. It was you a didn't, good run. You're, 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 you're fine here, Kieran. You're clean. You didn't say anything. It's all. It's mostly on Brian and a little bit on me. But let's let's get to our predictions. Uh, and uh, and Brian can uh, you can hang around and. And chime in, uh, even though we won't be keeping official score uh, with your picks here. But uh, after we both whiffed on the DeAndre Ware upset on Showbox, uh, I am still leading eight to six. And the first fight that we have to make predictions for here is Javier Fortuna against Sharif Bogaray. Lightweights, 10 rounds. Kieran, what's your pick? Uh, so out of the three, I think I'm this is the one out of which I'm expecting the least. Um, you know, it's one of those fights where both guys need a win, but neither can afford to go all out and, and risk 
you know, exposing themselves to a loss. Um, I, I don't know if it's really possible to step it right up a gear after going six years or so without any kind of meaningful fight, which is what the case is with Bogare. I, I just don't know that he has it uh, in his locker to suddenly kick it into gear, and, and I don't think he will. You know, Fortuna, on the other hand, He's been fighting at a pretty high level lately. I think he's the all-round better fighter, but it's also been a while since he tasted victory. So, you know, the W is more important for him than 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 looking Flash getting it. Uh, he may take him a little time to get himself into a groove. I don't know that he's going to be able to get Bogare out of there. So I'm expecting an initially close contest becoming increasingly one-sided, and I think Javier Fortuna will wind up a unanimous decision winner. Okay, well, I saw the draw online at 20 to 1 odds. Uh, and, and in all seriousness, I, I might bet that here. I know that we're not picking draws in our little thing, but uh, th- I like those odds for this fight. It could very possibly be a close distance fight. We can. You can go. Did we decide <laughs> 10 points if you do it? I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not quite ready to go there. I'm just noting that at 20 to one odds, I kind of like okay. it. But um, but yeah, I, like you, I, you know, I think Fortuna is, is the favorite here. He's the more gifted fighter. He has the higher upside in terms of his offense um and it helps that he's been facing better competition in recent years to stay sharp so uh i too like fortuna by competitive unanimous decision uh brian uh, is it is it unanimous it is unanimous and i think the best point was uh karen making is coming back for bogray from that far out to try to be in a fight against a guy who will at times, do anything to win. Don't forget, Fortuna's coming off a Kermit Centron impersonation of sort of yeah. falling out of the ring on his head against Adrian Granados. And I think you want to kind of turn that meme around, if you know what I mean, yeah. and try to come back and get a win. So I'm going to go with the guy who's looking to erase that from his past. And Paulie Malnagy on the weigh-in stream sort of said it matter-of-fact, and I didn't get a chance to question him, but did something happen to the lion head that Sharif used to wear to the ring? Yeah, well, apparently. What, what, what he was saying, somebody stole it? God, you know that lion once killed a few men. Is, is that true, that that lion? Ha- that is true. Wow. That is, okay. that, yeah, that's why he wore it, right? Yeah. Right. Now, now, was it stolen from Manny Pacquiao's house during Pacquiao's fight? <laughs> wow. Great question. Great, yeah. great right. question. We may never know the answer. Nice. Um, yeah. Next up on this card, uh, another 10-rounder, Mario Barrios versus Richard Zamora, uh, an over-the-weight, super-lightweight fight, so therefore technically a welterweight fight. Uh, and I'm up first with the prediction – and from what I've seen, Zamora is just too easy to hit. Uh, he's dangerous. He could pop. But I'm pretty confident that Barrios will catch him before he catches Barrios. So let's go Mario Barrios KO4. What do you say, Kieran? <laughs> Damn it. Yes. <laughs> it's basically basically answer to that. Yeah, I still, you know, I don't know how much of a prospect Barrios is, but he is clearly a prospect. Um, he's steadily increasing his quality of opposition and he's been increasing his stoppage ability as he's done that. And that does not augur well for Zamora, whose two losses uh, are by stoppage. Uh, I don't think this will go terribly long. Uh, I could pick a different round just to be different, but I did put down the fourth. So I'm going to stick with it. Barrios by the f- in the fourth. Um, it's unanimous. Our decision here is unanimous, but the fight will end by early knockout. This seems to be a setup to find out if Barrios is ready for sort of a cold main event push on this level. We know he can fight, he can bang. It's a good chance for him. I like him to shine. Excellent. All right, the main event, Javante Davis against Hugo Ruiz. Uh, I would have picked Davis probably by stoppage had he faced Abner Mares. This was originally the plan. Um, I'm picking him over Ruiz. I've wobbled a little bit after that weigh-in. Um, Going in anyway, I didn't want to be disrespectful to Ruiz. He is perfectly capable. He's been in with some good opposition. Uh, He's given as good as he's gotten. Um, 
you know, but he hadn't done it at 130, but he looked pretty darn good physically at 130 there. And Javante didn't look great. And you do wonder, uh, has Javante weakened himself a little bit? Um, you guys, uh, Brian, were talking about the fact that, uh, you know, he's had a bit of a cold over the last few days. So part of me thinks, you know, if uh, Javante probably wants to get him out of there early, and if he doesn't, he might not have the energy to get him out of there at all. But I still think, you know, he's going to have 24 hours to rehydrate, to get himself back together. He'll probably substantially outweigh Ruiz. I think perhaps it may be more of a competitive fight than had initially been considered. I think Ruiz, with his length, may poise uh, poise Davis a bit of a problem. But I still think at the end of the day, Davis will get to him just a little later than I thought uh, initially. I think still... If Davis is able to work the body and, and basically slow him down, I think he should still be able to get him out of there, I think, around round nine. All right. We do not have the exact same pick here, so that's a relief. Uh, despite his struggles to make weight, I think this should still be a statement fight for Javante Davis where he imposes his youth and speed and size and takes care of business, and I just feel like there isn't a lot that Ruiz can do to him in return. I could certainly see it taking a, a round or two for Javante to, to figure out how to deal with Ruiz's reach and find the right, right range, uh, but um, I don't think it'll take as long as you do. Um, I'm picking my second KO4 of this round of predictions. Figure if, uh, if I did say KO4 twice, ups the chance that one of them's going to hit, right? I don't know. Is, is sure, that how, I, don't, I don't know that's if that's how, how math works. and logic work, yeah. but uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, one of these fights is guaranteed to end in round four, uh, so I'm, I'm going with it again for this one. What do you say, Brian? Look, uh, the thing about Davis is all the stuff we're talking about, you know, professionalism and can he be this next big thing, he comes out here and gets a spectacular knockout and all will right. be forgotten. We won't right. talk about how he needed a couple times on the scale. He also has murderous punching power at 130 that can bail him out. And I think the, the third thing really going against uh, really going against Ruiz here, even though you can build the case around him being very competitive. I mean, he, he has the body to move up two weight classes, put the muscle on and look good. But for him to have a lot of success, it would seem his best path to victory would be to jump all over Davis, would be to try to find out if that weight cut is an issue, if he's not taking Davis serious, if Davis isn't taking him seriously enough you know, try to come out there because he's the fresher fighter and put some action on him. But that would also speed up his demise. And I think once Gervonta is able to hurt him and land clean, he's going to get him out of there. And don't forget one other thing, guys. I did talk to Gervonta Davis on my CBS Sports podcast on Tuesday. I said, are you scared about the weather at all? At first it was going to be rain. Now we're thinking cold and winds. He said, I don't like cold. And if I wake up that morning and I find out it's going to be cold, I'm not going to be hanging around in that ring too long. I'm going mm. for the early KO. Guys, I just checked the weather. Cold and wind, early KO. Book it. All right. It confirms my prediction. Sorry, Kieran, your prediction's wrong. Mine is right because the weather said so. He's from Baltimore. You should be fine with the cold. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. That'll do it. Hey, as a reminder, the Showtime Championship Boxing triple header kicks off at 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Pacific this Saturday. But that is really just the dessert to the main course, which is Brian Campbell calling uh, two undercard streams. And you can catch them uh, beginning 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Showtime Boxing Facebook page and on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. Brian, thank you for joining us. Feel free to come back anytime. You are always welcome here, sir. Thank you, guys. Much appreciated. Thank you for promoting my streams. Just be careful. Never cross them. <laughs> <laughs>
Indeed. Eric and I will be back with a perhaps more sedate podcast on Monday with a post-fight uh, look at, uh, at Saturday's events and a look ahead at next week's show box and a breakdown of some of the boxing news around the world. Until then, thank you for listening. <laughs>